Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis Brought to you by MJ Network MJ in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce Who I named the station after And I am so excited The author of Hidden Pieces is here. Let me give you just a little hint. Sheriff Jack Jack Turner is staring down the barrel of the broken past on the brink of ending it all. Thank goodness, well, he didn't. He feels like a failure following his daughter's tragic passing and a subsequent divorce. But when a schoolgirl vanishes and her backpack is found in the sex offender's backseat, the weary woman dressed himself into action and bows to nail one last sociopath. You're going to love this guy because he takes no holes barred and he doesn't stop until he gets what he wants. And the author is here. Mary, good morning and welcome to MJ Network. Good morning, Fran, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, this, this book is really interesting. I, now that I rewrote the first question, how did you create the first scene and how does it lead to the events that follow? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because it's just a little bit of a backstory to this book is that it was actually based on a true crime that happened oh, well. in my small town. Yeah, so the so the core of this book is is an abduction of a 14-year-old, um, but it's mm. also tied back to a cold case, right, where two girls went missing. So that particular cold case is what happened in my hometown when I was 14 years old. And two girls were out walking on a country road, and a car stopped. And in the real-life event, one got pulled in and one ran. Um, and so what I really, when I was writing this opening scene, I wanted to get into that moment before the abduction of the, the, the 14-year-old girl in the current case of this book. Um, and so I was thinking back into, into that cold case and was really kind of what would have been the mindset of the person doing it. And, I, and because you don't get to meet Allison, who is the 14-year-old, um, until much, you know, I don't want to say much later. I might give that away here in the book. Yeah. But, you know, that um, I wanted you to know that she, at the end of the day, was a 14-year-old stolen girl standing on the edge of a road and, and so that you connect with her and worry about her. And that, so that was what, why I wanted to do that scene in the mind of the abductor and what I hope is that now you're, you're um, invested in getting her home from the very beginning. Well, that's what started me reading. I just sat down and read it. Now, lately, if I take a break when reading a book, you're in trouble. I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. if I pick up the book and just sit down and get eyes strained at the end, you're in good luck. Really, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> I was like, goals. okay. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and saying, yeah. now, why would the author have Jax be so upset that he was going to, you know, give himself a good shot? So why is he so despondent, and why was Lulu 
Who is Lula and why does he want to end it all? Thank God you didn't do that because that would have ruined the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> it would have ended in Chapter 1, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, Jax is a perfectionist at heart, and his worldview is that he needs to be needed and worthy, um, you know, and successful, right, in what he does. And and so he, Lulu was his daughter who died of leukemia, and he was felt completely useless in saving her. And I think that was the beginning of the end for him as far as mentally. And then, of course, his I always say that his marriage died a few years later. Um, they just mm. buried it the day that they divorced because it really had died the day Luke, uh, that Lulu had died of leukemia. But he just couldn't he just couldn't be there for the for his wife um, Abby. And then he does have this cold case that's in the back of his mind, but you don't know that it's the cold case till later. But that he always deems that as a failure. When those two girls had gone out and, and he couldn't bring one of them home, he deemed that as a failure as well. So yeah, I think it's sad. just begun to pile on him, you know, just piles up on him. And one day he just he just doesn't want to do it anymore. And yet he's not completely convinced. He, he hesitates just a minute, right? And then he gets that phone call. So... It was a good thing that the dispatcher made a phone call. You have a lot of listeners, let me tell you. There are people on the phone <laughs> lines here. Okay. Um, when did, the- yeah, that's good. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, Hello. This is based on a true story, people. This really did happen in her small-town community. When his phone yeah. rings and the dispatcher calls, he puts the gun down. How come? And what steps does he do? Who's missing and why does he want to find her? Well, he he puts a call down. You know, he again, he's got that responsibility thing, right? Um, he yeah, he does carry the weight of the of the world on his shoulders. And his deputy, Chris Chapman, is out, so he's reminded by that when Trudy calls him, and Trudy's his dispatcher. Yeah, and he feels like, well, you know, nobody else can answer this call, and he's probably going to just be back to the beach in about an hour from now. But he's going to go and and find out what's happened, and that's when he um, heads over to Emily's house. And Emily's Allison's mother, and Allison is the 14-year-old that had, did not get on the school bus that morning. And so he gets over there, and he's still not convinced, even then, even then, because you know, 14-year-olds they can, you know, play hooky, yeah, I know, or, you know, do all sorts of things. So he's not completely convinced that this is an actual missing case, but he's decided he's going to go ahead and check it out because he is thorough. That's one thing about Jax; he, he's tenacious, he's thorough, and even if he's he knows how to compartmentalize for a little bit to get his job done. And um, and so he he's decides, you know, he's going to go ahead and, and follow this through until he figures out where she's at. Well, I, I got the feeling when I was listening to Emily talk that there was something that she's not saying. There's something that mm-hmm. said she's hiding. And then, unfortunately, supposedly his deputy is not there so he had to train new people in order to help him <laughs> find this girl and how did that work that can't be hard i mean he's got the heart of gold jacks but i mean you have to be tough and these two people had no clue so and his regular deputy was nowhere to be found he was away right so he's a very small department and he relies on chapman but yes he's gone and so he's got yeah. brody and garrett and matt and and they're volunteer deputies. And, you know, Matt, yeah. you, you know, I, there's a part where I say he can be seen dri- driving through, you know, like a Dutch Brothers grabbing a coffee and flirting with the mm. baristas, you know. Um, Brody is just kind of here and there. And, and Garrett's the one that really wants to be a cop, but he's he's not there yet, right? So he, he's got a lot of people he's training, um, 
but you know, he Jack's his former military, and so he does have that mentality a little bit of trying to at least be a leader and guide. Um, but it re- really throws him off. He feels like it's all on him because he's got a team that doesn't know how always to write, ask the right questions, mm-hmm. or you know, they're not going to necessarily be thinking outside the box themselves. So he feels like he's got to really, really direct them, and and that can can be a little bit frustrating for him. But he just he, he keeps pushing. I love Jax. He's a pusher. <laughs> That's why I have to admire him because I learned a long time ago that if you want to know something, you got to push until you get the answers, even if you don't like how many people you have to annoy and disturb. And you make those right. phone calls, and even if you have to step on heads, it doesn't matter. It's a good trade, people. That's right. Seriously. <laughs> so it, it's hard to know, even when you do an interview, it's hard to know the right questions. Because you don't want to really destroy. I would never do a negative review ever or interview. But you don't know. Sometimes people get annoyed. So who is Dylan and how does he learn about him? And then he has to investigate Allison's friends. That's the hard part. Yeah, Dylan is a teenager that is actually lives next door to Allison. Mm. Um, and he finds out about Dylan um, from when they go to the high school. And, you know, they he, he's kind of a pompous kid, right? And mm-hmm. he had a falling out with Allison. So he becomes kind of a prime suspect um, throughout the book just because, you know, he had some tendencies to be a bully when he wasn't getting what he wanted or, you know, just in general. And then, of course, his daddy is, which we'll probably talk about in a minute, is Troy Marks, who's the commissioner. And so... Yeah, he thinks he's got some entitlement stuff going on. And, of course, then um, mm-hmm. Jack does have to investigate, you know, the friends as well. Kylie is Allison's best friend. And, you know, where is she and what does she know? Um, and the thing about uh, writing a mystery, of course, is everybody's got some sort of secret, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And you're, and you're constantly, you know, as an investigator, you're trying to uncover what those are, right? So... But, yeah, Dylan plays a part throughout the novel, just kind of as an obstacle and as a suspect throughout. So he's, he was Well, you're going to love the first sentence of my um, review. I don't know how I came up with it, but it says, everyone has secrets, lies, and past that are times create pieces pieces of hidden hidden incidents that they'd soon forget. And it just seemed to be the right yeah, way to start it for some reason. <laughs> Everybody's got a secret. Everybody's hiding something. Yeah, well, let me tell you. <laughs> I try. So we have Dylan and of Allison, and who is Elena to Allison, and who is Daniel? So Elena is um, Allison's stepmother, and mm. Daniel is Allison's father. And mm. and I want to say actually ex stepmother because uh, Daniel and Elena do end up divorced and they are not together. Um, but mm. Elena plays the second part in this novel. Of course, yeah. she's got a second. She's the second point of view, um, and she is um, you know worried about Allison's disappearance. Of course, uh, she's a psychologist, psychologist and she's um, works in the prison system as well, um, and she is also um, tied to that cold case I was talking to you about. <laughs> uh, this, this gets very complicated, people, but if you read it, 
if you if you want to really understand how someone really cares about doing his job and how you help help try to help a teenager that's in trouble, you need to read this one seriously jack Jack is tough and he won't back down, which is great, and I love Trudy. Why is she so loyal, and how does he proceed because I don't think he could do this without her. Oh yeah, Trudy. I love Trudy. She was actually me too. probably when people yeah when people ask me who's your very favorite character in the book, and I always go to Trudy. And part of that is because I was a Longmire fan, and I loved Ruby mm-hmm. in the Office. I don't know if you remember, you know, if you've seen the show or you know, um, mm-hmm. but uh, it's just one of my favorites. And so I just wanted to create a character that was like a mom character through um throughout and you know with those three volunteer deputies and jack's kind of a mess um that office needs a mom type character (laughs) so Mm. she's you know a little older she's in her early 70s and she just whips them into shape and but she's just kind of the office mom in a lot of ways but but what i love about her is she also doesn't really tolerate jack's you know Stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like pull yourself out of the hole, buddy, <laughs> and, and, and she's moving. just right there. She's always, yeah, get moving, like get out of your, you know, wallowing. Let's get going. And she's just that voice, that inner voice that you know maybe anybody who's wallowing needs to hear every so often. Like, yeah, go wash your face, take a shower, get out there, go. <laughs> yeah, stop, stop complaining. Um, and she's just that voice. So, well, what I really, I really like, like is her. the fact that. She might be older, but it doesn't mean that she's not wiser and has intelligence. And I'm finding lately that when you... I don't tell anybody how old I am because I haven't figured that one out yet. It doesn't really matter, seriously. And they'll look at you and they'll say, oh, you know, how do you know anything? I know because somebody told me. I get really annoyed with age discrimination. I get really really annoyed with any kind of discrimination. But when you walk in and the first thing they ask you is your date of birth, I go, I forgot. And I won't tell them. Yeah, I literally that won't tell them. I say, you know what? If you can't figure it out from my address, then you don't need to know. So, <laughs> that, love that, yeah. So, what role does Elena play, and who is Madeline? And tell us about her and Elena. I like Elena, though, in my own way. Yeah, Elena's complex. Um, Elena is sister. So, Madeline and Elena were the sisters, and they are the mm-hmm. the sisters that that the cold case is built around. Um, they are the two girls that um, they lived in foster care and they were um, running away from that situation mm. and a car stops and they are abducted. Um, and, but Elena is survived that abduction and Madeline did not. And Elena later on, it, you know, becomes the second POV, like I mentioned in the book. And she you know, she's functioning. She's a functioning adult. She went out and she got a degree and, and she'd gotten into a new foster situation and she survived, you know, the trauma. Um, and she's just, you know, going forward in her life, uh, trying to trying to survive, you know, the memory of her sister, but yet still guilty, feeling guilty, survivor's guilt in a lot of ways. And this becomes, and this is an anniversary. When this book starts, um, the 25th anniversary of Madeline dying has happened. Um, And so this is triggering a little bit of that as well for her. But um, Madeline was just a little bit older uh, than Elena, and so Elena was a little sister. And, um, yeah, so. Yeah, tell us about. She was a very complex character. Yeah, Yeah, I know, and I felt so bad that Madeline wasn't there to help her out. 
But what can you yeah. do? Yeah. So who is Stephen and why does Elena claim she needs to talk to him? And then we're going to get to well, two very Steve, interesting characters. <laughs> Stephen is uh, is Elena's and Madeline's brother. Um, mm-hmm. Elena, so the thing with Stephen is that he has some mental illness issues. And of yeah. course, she's in the psychiatry field, so she feels compelled to help him. She ne- she did not grow up with him. She, he was much older. And... Um, and he's starting to spiral, and that is the relationship that they have, is that he spirals and she pulls him back from the edge. And that is kind of the ongoing thing. And she feels compelled to do that because they don't have anybody else. They are the only people in their um, world. Um, mm-hmm. Early on you learn in the book that the parents died, and that's why the girls were in foster care in the first place. Um, and so, you know, she just feels very compelled to, to help him through. And she feels like she's the only one that can help him through. And he won't let her, let anyone else help. So she feels very responsible. And in, in the very beginning of the book, he's spiraling and she begins the quest to try yeah. to find out what's going on. Yeah. Well, that's another issue that's been coming to play on the news. And there's a town upstate that's, that has now have police officers um, taking phone calls for parents that call in or anybody calls in that has mental illness that needs immediate help. And yeah. it's sort of like, a, yeah, it's like a, 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 a bunch of people that are driving in cars, cops that are driving in cars, and they're coming around just to see if they could do something. I think mental illness is a big deal besides drug abuse and alcohol. Yeah, and I sure. think that what what they're doing up there is fantastic. It really is. Um, oh, I think sure. a lot more Absolutely. has to be placed on kids that are losing it. So tell us what happens yeah. when Jack's questions talk about Vince Wallace and Rick. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so Rick, mm. um, <laughs> he's the sex offender with the backpack that you spoke of. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> and his uncle is Vince Wallace, and they uh Vince is the farm manager, um, and the farm is located right next to Allison's house. Um, kind of a, imagine a very long country road, and then, you know, here's mm. here's a house with maybe a tenth of a mile driveway up to their house, and then a long driveway out to the farm. And it's filled with, you know, berries and, and animals and orchards and, and all sorts of things. Um, and when we meet Rick, Rick is, you know, gutting a fish out <laughs> out in some swamp area, basically, and um, he, and then they find Allison's backpack in in the car. Um, and so that gets him drug in real fast. Of course, he denies everything, and then he immediately throws his uncle under the bus and saying, this is my uncle's car. I didn't look to see what was in the back of that car. Um, and now Vince mm-hmm. Wallace is, is being drugged in. And, of course, you know, the farm was the first place that Jack looked because if a girl's going to run away or something, maybe he, you know, maybe she's taken a shortcut through that farm to get someplace. And um, and Vince is an obstacle right away. He's not yeah. going to allow anybody to go out onto that farm. He does not own the farm, so he uses the ownership um, as kind of an excuse. I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed to let you onto this property without a warrant. And, of course, unless you have a real reason, you know, i.e., you know that girl is there type of thing or in danger or there's signs to that, mm-hmm. so you can't really run out and just go get a warrant and, and search somebody's property. So 
Um, yeah, so Vince becomes an obstacle early on, and then he becomes a suspect when we find out about that backpack. Um, so he's he's one of those things. That's, yeah, well, he's, he gets arrested, and of course his wife, his ex-wife, his wife doesn't happy. She wants him released. But Vince is into something else. He's the catalyst for something else. And more, more than Abby wanted, that's why Abby wanted him released. But he was into something else. And how does he fight? And, you know, sometimes I've been reading all these books, too many of them. Money talks. And you could have all these riches and millions of the world. You commit a murder, and we know from the news, you know, what happens when you're very rich and have a big mouth and think you can get away with it. Um, how does he fight? And what rules does he break? And why is it fair that people are judged by their income or status or who they are instead of what really happens? So are we talking about, you know, Wallace? You mean Vince Wallace doing some of that? Yeah. Yeah. So he was taking advantage for sure, um, mm-hmm. you know, and taking advantage of his ability to move things in and out of the farm. I don't want to go too deep into it just because I don't want to. No. <laughs> I don't want to give no, away don't tell anybody, yeah. It. Yeah, but let's just say he was he was feeling very entitled and taking advantage of that position of not being watched because the owner doesn't live on site and different things like that. So um, he was definitely taking advantage. But, yes, so Abby Kanekoa, who is what you're talking about, Jax's ex-wife, um, she's an FBI agent, and she's working her mm-hmm. own angles around the farm. <laughs> and that is mm-hmm. why she does not want Vince uh, removed because she is – Sort of like I guess there's a missing girl, but we've got a bigger. We're looking at a bigger issue here. And if you if you take Vince out and mess with my, you'll mess with my case, and then we're going to have mm-hmm. problems with ten thousand yeah. girls, not just one. You know, sort of thing. So, yeah. So without going too deep into that, um, yeah, it's kind of a it's a quagmire of <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, I know there. it's hard because if the ex-wife is the FBI and doing the case, similar to what you're trying to do. And he's she's telling you not to. Well, we're not going to tell you what Jax does. He probably did what yeah. I would do. So <laughs> what happens when he, he can't find Allison? I felt bad for her. And how does uh, declare that? How does how does he you relate the present to the past with Jax? Because we won't talk about Lulu and what happens and why he feels so guilty about her death. Yeah, well, he just feels resp- like he couldn't stop it. Right. That's. It's, that's his responsibility to it. It's not so much that with it she had the cancer, that just that he tried so hard to save her and in the end was not yeah. able to save her. Um, and so Allison really becomes almost a replacement to that. It's sort of like, you know, and because he wasn't able to save Madeline, right, because he was the detective on that case 25 years ago in Portland when mm. all of this went down. And so, you know, he left the Portland police force and he became the small-town sheriff of Misty Pines, and here's this case. And it's like, you know, he feels like now maybe he has an opportunity to get it right this time. And um, he'll soon learn of the, you know, throughout the book, he doesn't know about Elena's connection, but then he will know. And then it's even more so, you know, here's Allison, and, and, and she's a stepdaughter of Elena, the girl that survived this, you know, this previous case, and... Now he's got to get it right. So he's just very driven, and and I think the loss of Lulu really, part of that just really drives his his need to succeed in this. At some point, you know, he doesn't even think about ending his life anymore because he is so all into this, and he is determined, which is, you know, part of his arc, you you know, throughout the book. 
I know. I felt so bad for him, but I got to tell you, he doesn't stop. So who is Jameson, and why does he care? And finally, Dylan. We'll get to him in a couple of minutes. And the judge, that I just added his name. Oh, the judge. Oh, yeah, uh, Judge Ruley. Um, yeah, Jameson, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Jameson is, um, it was, okay, he was Jax's ex-partner in Portland. So it was, Jameson mm-hmm. and Jax were uh, partners, and they worked that original cold case. And, you know, he kind of, just like everything else, when Lulu died, he just, disappeared and Jack's just kind of disconnected from all of his old connections and Jameson is getting called in because when evidence starts to show up in this new case that makes Jack think hey there might be a connection here like yeah so there's like some there's some feathers that are found and that they're found inside the backpack and there were feathers around Madeline's body when she was found. And they're very, there's something very specific about them that you wouldn't just find them in nature. And uh, so that's, he wants Jameson to start digging up some old files and get them over to him. I need that original file from 25 years ago. Can you help me with that type of thing? And so, of course, Jameson um, does help him. But, you know, there's also, you know, it's all about character for me. I love the character levels of uh, writing. And, you know, there's some conflict. They have to heal uh, this relationship that they've let sever, you know, over time. And Jack hasn't been there for his friend. And, you know, Jameson's wife has had some health issues that Jack didn't know about. And so there's some reconciling and some healing there that, that takes place as well. And that's, um, I think that's good. So, Well, not only that, I read, I, I've counted over... 15,000 novels in the last 10 years, seriously. And unfortunately, I read 10 a week. No, really. <laughs> when, when, I, when I have the energy. And some of them, like some it. of the characters are not believable. And that's yeah. that's the one thing in this book. You believe Jackson. You have faith in him. And you understand that he's not just a linear character with like, you know, that stands there and says to himself and says, I could do this. He's a, he's a real person with, with real values and real trust. Whereas some of the characters that I read about, I go, you've got to be kidding. He didn't just do that. I would never believe that. That's, that's yeah. the hard part. So how does he finally get Dylan, and what brings him down, and what about his deputies? After a while, do they finally get the point on how to investigate a case? Yeah, well, Dylan is his own worst enemy in a lot of ways, you know, and he's... Yeah. he's <laughs> so his youth and inexperience kind of gets him on the, you know, I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but no. there is, there is some heroin found. I can, I'll tell you that. And, you know, and he's, and he's hidden it with Allison and that's kind of gets him some problem. You know, that's part of why there's some wondering about what Allison was doing. If, like, was she a drug into drugs or what, you know, that's all kind of plays into who she is and what her story is throughout, you know, before we decide that she really has been abducted. Um, but, yeah, Dylan's just, his arrogance brings him down, really, in the end. Um, and what was the second part of that question? I said I was so focused on, on Dylan. And how do the deputies finally learn, you know, what really happens and how to ask questions? Because that's something that you either have the skill to do or you don't, to be very honest. 
Yeah. Well, you know, part of it is that they haven't had a lot of experience because Misty Pines is a quiet town for the most part. You know, it's like all of a sudden there's a line in the book that says, you know, Misty Pines had woken up and not in a good way. It's (laughs) They were used to doing some tickets and, you know, you know, just traffic control or some little things, nothing, you know, during Mm. tourist season or whatever, nothing huge. And, um, you know, they do learn over time because they're starting – yeah, it's kind of like trial by fire, right? You're just thrown into something, and you are just learning it on the go. And that's really, at the end of the day, they become more of a unit, and they become more trusting of each other just through experience, just through all of this as they're going through it. So, And is there, it's not going to be perfect. I don't like endings that are all perfect. Um, I like ambiguity yeah. and... Because that's life, you know. I mean, we can have a perfect moment. That doesn't mean it remains, right? <laughs> or that we've we've got all the answers by the end, right? So um, they have a lot to learn still. So who is I? Just I, mean, I have the book in front of me. I didn't give it away yet, but trust me, there's there are people that want to read it, and <laughs> and it's funny because I walk into ever. What what do you got today? Who are you interviewing? I go well. If you want to know, go go on Amazon and find out and get a copy of the book. No one could read my books after I after I read them because I destroy them. I literally write, wrote in your book, dog add the thing, circled, wrote a Q for questions and a Y for use in the review. For real, that's that's how I know that what I'm writing is is right. So, um, who is Chapman and what is his role? Well, Chapman is um, Jack's right hand guy. Um, he his role is deputy. He's a paid. He's actually a paid employee of the city, mm-hmm. um, and you know he has really picked up the slack for Jax because when Jax's daughter died, that was, you know, he just became, you know, kind of went through the motions, right? So he's become the person that picks up that slack for Jax throughout the book. Although in the beginning, of course, he's not there, and he does we come know back. Yes, he comes back um, to mm-hmm. help. And uh, and then he's part of the investigation right up to the very end. Yeah, that's all we're <laughs> going to say about him. Let me tell you. That's all we're going to say You know, say I think him. the hardest thing for a police officer or a sheriff or something to know is who can you trust, and that that right. basically runs through this entire novel. Who do you trust? How do you, how do you confide in someone, and how do you know that they're not going to stick you in the back when they're done? That's the scary part. Yeah. Yeah. So you really don't know. What happens when Dylan gets arrested and Judge Wooley has to deal with him? And this kid doesn't back down at all. Um, Are we talking Rick, maybe? Dylan Dylan is – Judge Wooley is the guy who's going to do the, um, you know, the warrant, right? But Judge Wooley is, you know, not there. Right. He's he's on mm-hmm. vacation <laughs> for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. we have to place these people far away so that they can't give that warrant quite as quickly as we needed it. Um, yeah, but Dylan, uh, but Rick is the one that does get arrested. And then, of course, um, he gets transferred out. And then when uh, Jax needs some information, he needs him transferred back to Misty Pines. So the judge is part of, of some of that. But we don't really meet the judge too much. He's uh, he's kind of non not on the page too much. So I'm I'm looking at the book over here. I don't want to give it away, but who is Marx? What does he have to do with anything? 
Well, he's Troy. Troy Marks is the commissioner, and he's Dylan's yeah. dad. And his cousin actually owns the farm. And his, yeah. um, so there, he has a lot of connection. And we find out later that he also owns um, some property <laughs> that leads into an area that becomes a focal point of the investigation. So mm-hmm. there is some real concern that Troy has been hiding a few things throughout the book. And right from the very beginning, he doesn't want Dylan answering questions. Um, he's like, you know, we don't get involved in these things, son. Get out, you know, sort of thing. So he becomes a real real obstacle for Jax, which, of course, is fun, right? That's what I like to do is put all those obstacles in front of Jax and make him have to jump through them. But Troy and him kind of have a yeah. uh, stressful, uh, tense relationship anyway, just based on some history. Uh, Jax pulls uh, the commissioner over early on in the, his career for a DUI, <laughs> and then, and then um, you know, he, the case gets thrown out, but, you know, that doesn't set well for future relationships, right? They, they've got some tenacious or tenseness between them. So, um, and that continues. I mean, it's just, they're just against each other throughout the book until they well, are. I really, I really <laughs> like Elena. And why yes. is she so bent on trying to find Allison? Why does she care? I mean, I know who she's the stepmother, and not all step parents would do what she does. But why does she care? Why does she want to risk everything just to find her? Well, because she learns early on. At first, when you know we talked about Stephen spiraling, and she so she goes out. She can't get uh, Stephen on the phone. She can't get him to call her back. And so she ends up going to try to find him at his apartment. And when she goes into his apartment, she finds signs of things that belong to Allison. And now all of a sudden, it's not just, I'm going to find my brother to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to get him better. Oh, my gosh, he's, he could have taken Allison. And I think that that is really what drives her throughout, of course, is that, you know, that she feels terrible and then responsible that Stephen would even go after Allison in any way. Mm. She feels like that somehow that was caused by her, maybe from the divorce from Daniel or, or whatever. And then she just feels like she's the only one that's going to bring Allison home safely because she's the only one that can, can communicate with Stephen effectively. So, um, yeah, that's what drives her all the way through. She just she thinks that, you know, of course, that she's caused this and that she needs to fix mm. it. So, yeah. It's but sort she's of like a guilt torn, complex. Right? Yeah. yeah, but she's it's, torn because she knows, you know, what that might mean for Stephen, too, right? So I think she's, she keeps yeah. thinking in her head, I, I can get this, you know, this is a misunderstanding and I'll fix this. And then the closer it goes and the more it goes, she realizes that there might not be a way to fix this. So that she's just got to find uh, Allison regardless of the cost. Well, drugs plays an important part. And like I said, there's a lot of kids out there, a lot of parents, that are not really watching. The children go, I'm going out with my friends tonight. They come back stoned. Parents are sleeping. They don't even know. And yeah. and then they wonder why they wind up. But before I forget, I'm so excited. Next Thursday, New York Times author of the Born Defines, the Jason Bourne series, Brian Freeman, will be mm-hmm. here to take spotlight on the 23rd, Cindy McDonald 
on the 21st, I have a panel of authors that write like I do, horror. And they're going to talk about how you create a character that does anything and doesn't really care what they have to do to get what they want to get done. And they're really dangerous characters. We have Patrick Moore, David Putnam, Vincent Zandry, and Charles Holtberg. And I'm really excited because all of them write like I do. On the 23rd, we have Cindy McDonald. On the 28th, the author of Blinded Justice. And what better way to start September? This is fantastic for any author that wants to join the six-word story contest. Every month, uh, Betty Slade hands me this thing and says, could you give me your six-word stories? And in six words, you have to write the beginning of a story. And I don't know how she, I did it. I did it just for fun. And every month she prints once so I you to give her at least 12 stories, 12 beginnings of stories. They give you a prompt and you have to actually come up with what you think it means. It's fantastic. It's like, oh, my God, I actually did this. So th- that's a lot of fun. And if you want to do that, you know, uh, look her up, Betty Slade, and her uh, inspirational newsletter. And it, it's a lot of fun. So let's continue on. Now, what about Emily and Vince, how did they wind up? And how did you, the title, Hidden Pieces says it all. How did you come up with that? That is fantastic. <laughs> well, so Emily and Vince, yes, you find out there is a connection. Um, how they mm-hmm. end up is how they should have, they should have never started. So <laughs> I mm-hmm. think we're going to end up back back to the norm here. Um, Vince is not going to be around anyway for a little bit, right? So he's, She's going to go on a long extended vacation, I think, somewhere uh, away from this times. But um, so, you know, what's funny is that when I originally wrote mm-hmm. the book, I had called it Killer in the Mist, like as, you know, Misty Pines, Mist, M-I-D-S-T. Um, and, and I just, I liked it, but I thought, you know, eh, I don't know. And then just one day I just was thinking it's like a puzzle, you know, there's all these layers and and then I came up with hidden pieces. It just kind of just came to me. It's like, yeah, there's all these pieces that he's going to put together. So it just seemed like the right title. It, it's yeah. true because everybody has little secrets and hidden pieces that they don't want people mm-hmm. to know. And mm-hmm. Dylan has a lot to lose because Dylan is a um, sports star and he likes to play yeah. uh, sports. And if he doesn't yeah. get out of this trouble, he's going to lose the scholarship. And basically, you don't feel sorry for him, but why would anybody want to help him? And what would he have to do in order to get, you know, he wants help or whatever, but still, you know, kids do the wrong thing and they need to pay the penalty sometimes. And he sort of did it for whatever reason. So why would anybody want to, you know, say to him, okay, now if you do this, maybe, maybe you'll be able to play or maybe you won't. And then yeah. how do they seal something? He's a, he's a minor, so it wouldn't stay on his wreckage forever. So how do they get away with that? But eventually I've read so many books where sealed you know, cases and sealed information, all of a sudden it comes to play. Somebody finds it. That's what's even scary. Yeah, well, yeah, and I don't go too deep into that, but, you know, on his yeah. what really happens, you know, because if he were to be tried as an adult, that would have, you know, been something yeah. different. Um you know, he just, um, you know, I think that there's um, that part of Jack's that believes that people can be redeemed. That the, you know, because really at the end of this story, when I finished writing this book, I thought at the end 
this really ha- is a redemption story. This is a redemption mm-hmm. for Jax. It's a redemption yeah. for Elena. Um, and so almost he extends that grace to Dylan. And even though Dylan is really kind of an unlikable character throughout because he's, yep. he's got all this arrogance. But if you look at his relationship with his father, it's not that far, you know, it's not that far to, to see how that could have happened. And I like, you know, I do show him up at the, um, the barn where he's cleaning stalls. And part of what he's doing, he's trying to create his own way. Like his dad wants him to do something different. He just wants to go to mm-hmm. Oregon State University and be a Ducks football player. I mean, you yeah. know, he wants to work on a state level. He doesn't want to go to anything elite or Ivy. So he's at conflict with his father. And you can see that his father owns him on a lot of levels. And you will actually meet Dylan in the next book. And, you know, he's, we, I like to show growth in everybody. And, you know, young, youth, is, there's petulance. There's all sorts of things when you're young, you know, and especially if you're arrogant and you've been kind of, yeah. you know, fast-tracked into these things. But he's still human, and I, there's different layers. And he's not all bad. And so I was trying to – and he's young. So I was giving him some, you know, giving him some out there a little bit. But, yeah, he, that's why Jax gives him a little bit of grace at the end. So. I know a lot of parents like this. And I didn't grow up getting everything I wanted. If I didn't earn it and work for it, I wasn't going to get it. And my parents didn't pay for my college education, all four of them. Well, my four masters, yeah. I did it myself. And I feel that yeah. there are a lot, yeah. <laughs> and my, believe me, my father was, didn't make a lot of money, but he could have afforded to pay for it, and I wouldn't let him. I said, this is my thing. I will do it my way. And I don't want anybody to pay my way because I have to be able to feel responsible like I earned it. So for some, and in this, even this book with Dylan, why do parents enable their kids? And why don't they take more of a vigilance to realize that maybe when you're coming, he's coming home from a party at 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe you need to figure out if he's, my father sat on the chair in the living room and waited till I came yeah. home to make sure I was in one piece. He really did. I won't tell you how yeah. he was wearing, but he was sitting on the chair, yeah. And I had to answer questions of my mother inside, like, what did you do? What I said, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I never got home that late. But why did they enable them, and why did they allow them to have this free reign of time when they don't even realize that they could be taking drugs or alcohol or worse? They don't. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Troy is really into his own work. He's kind of his own workaholic. Yeah. as the commissioner of the town. But also... I don't know that Dylan, I, I kind of set it up where a lot of his activity is a little bit more during the day. He's doing things at the high school level, right? So yeah. at, at, after a game and stuff. So um, it's never really implied that Dylan is out way late, but, you know, he definitely works within the parameters. And he has some freedom because he goes to the farm to work, quote, unquote, work, you know, and do things too. So. He's got some mm. freedoms in that. And, of course, after practice. And so, you know, I think, you know, a lot of times when parents are just busy in their own world, they're just, if they're not careful, they're not paying attention. And and I also think mm-hmm. it's a little bit generational, as yeah. too, because like you, I had parents that, you know, I mean, I never was allowed to go to a music concert. I was, you know, I, there were many things I was not allowed to do. Um, I came from, my dad was a fisherman. I lived at the Oregon coast. Um, you know, I lived in a trailer park. I, you know, came from very poor beginnings. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked for everything I've ever had, you know. And I, and so I don't understand it, but I can see it, 
like in my daughters who are in their 40s, you know, um, mm-hmm. but it's generational. There's a certain generational thing, right? Like maybe we were too strict here and now we're going to swing the other way. So I don't know yeah. for sure. That's a whole other t- subject. But um, it just it's just different. And I so I think in Dylan's case, he's just got some preoccupied parents right now and, um, mm-hmm. and arrogant yeah. too. Almost that arrogance of like I'm who I am and so I've got perfection around me and where I'm going to make it perfect and they're not really seeing their children for who they are which is sometimes not perfect, <laughs> you know, so. I, I agree. I grew up in the South Bronx <laughs> in an apartment that yeah. was big enough for a thumb with my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and everybody in the same building. And we, I lived with yeah. my grandparents. There were like six of us, and I had a little bed. I could barely, I was 200 pounds. I weigh 100 now. And I could barely fit through the door. And oh. you, you just, you, we just were not enabled. You just, you know, le- learn to live with whatever you have. And there are so yeah, many parents absolutely. that are just so oblivious. Sometimes I think it's because they're afraid to say no, and the child's going to say, well, you don't care about me. My friends have, but I don't even care what your friends have. It, it's different. So is Jax going to yeah. remain sheriff? And because uh, he has a decision to make at the end. And how does he decide? How is he going to decide whether he wants to leave and go, you know, do something better or someplace else? Or is he going to stick around in, in Misty Pine? Well, you know, I think ultimately he feels hope at the end of the book. Um, mm-hmm. He's reconciled some of the pain, not completely, but with, you know, of course, you're never going to get over losing a child. That That is just not yeah, going to I know. go anywhere. No, it's just going to always be who he is. But he's going to learn to perhaps function on a little bit more effective level, and he realizes that the town needs him. And he's been, you know, he's been disconnected, and he wants to replug in and be what the town needs. So he just comes to that conclusion as, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, it is a spoiler, but he brings Allison home, of course. I would never write a book where where that girl did not come home. I was glad because I was getting Um, worried there. And yeah, well, good. I wanted you worried right up to the end, <laughs> but uh, you know, not to give it away. But it just, of course. And so he feels a little bit of redemption that he did bring her home, and um, and has helped Elena on some levels too. Although I don't want to go too deep into that one, but he's helped her to um, find some peace. And I think that's really important for him. And of course, he is back in my next book, so he is definitely still the sheriff of Misty Pines. Well, we're talking going. about Allison. Why would anybody want to kidnap her? What was the point of doing that? And I, you know, I don't. You don't get to know her that well, but you get to know her to a point. Yes, yeah, she was symbolic in a lot of ways um, yeah. to that past case, and she becomes a pawn to that. So it's really that. It's really about that simple of of why she was chosen. Who her relationship with the parties, you know. With um, with everybody tied into the old case and the new case, and and Allison was kind of the pawn to that. She was the right age, you know, was connected to the stepmom and the dad, and mm. you know, without going too deep, <laughs> there was a lot of connection, and she just became symbolic of a time of that cold case and a recreation of it. So, are you going yeah. to uh, what? Where where do you find Jax next? What's up for you next? Another one with him, or is there something else that I didn't get? 
No, it's uh, Deadly Tides is the next book, and uh-huh. um, you're gonna you're gonna see Abby and him working together more. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, so Jax uh, is called to the scene of a of a missing or a well, it's like a you know please check on an emergency call, right? And we can't seem to get a hold of this person, so he's just doing a, a welfare check, I guess what you would call it on a local surf uh, legend, and he own, the guy owns a surf shop, and he doesn't find him. And then all of a sudden, Abby is calling him because a severed foot has washed ashore mm. um, at the beach. And so Jax is going to be on the hunt to try to find this missing surf shop owner. And at the same time, um, there is an individual who's gone missing in a town nearby and another severed foot. So Abby's working a case, and Jack is working a case, and they are, you know they're going to intermix at some point. <laughs> well, they're, they're going to you know, get, get cross aims because she's going to want to do it one way, he's going to want to do it another way, he's going to tell her too bad. So how do you well, decide? This, it, is yeah. a que- <laughs> this is a question I've asked. I, I, I interview a lot of law enforcement, FBI, DEA, everybody. They will love me somehow. I don't know. <laughs> How did you decide when there's a dead body or there's a body, how did you create the scene so that everybody knows that either the person is missing or the person is dead? And why wouldn't somebody go into a car and look and see a backpack? Why didn't they look and see if there was somebody in it or what information was in it? Oh, they did. (laughs) They do. Um, How do you do it? You know, you just, yeah, I just create the scene just, See, I just kind of put myself in the shoes of of the law enforcement mm-hmm. officer, and what would I do? I mean, I spent yeah. 18 years working in the legal field. I think that helps a lot. Yeah, um, it does. <laughs> and I have, I have, yeah, my my uncle is a uh, was a homicide detective. I have great resources of local sheriffs and a cold case detective that you know I you know send emails to all the time or have conversations with about getting the details right of like how would they do this if they, you know, found a scene? Mm-hmm. And I think that all helps inform inform how I create, you know, things for sure um, and what they would do once they kind of come up on them. So, well, yeah, Jax, I'm lucky. Jax has I'm lucky a bit of your personality that. too because Jax is determined to get the job done the right way and you were determined to write it the right way. Seriously. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, we're both. Well, all I have to say right? is that <laughs> Hidden Pieces is going in. My dermatologist, I don't have to visit him. They don't even want me to visit. And I can't come without books. No, I'm serious. I literally can't come without it. a bag of advice. I brought him 25 on Wednesday just to say hi. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. I'm serious. And he said, Does he love it? This is really weird. He said, You know, you're so amazing. You bring this to me. If you call me, I'll pick them up at your house. I said, I would never ask you to do that because when I get there and my appointment is at 930, they take me at 9 o'clock. What more can I ask for? I don't have to wait. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's he's, Dr. M is getting that. He's, this is the first one of the new pile of books. So where can everybody find out more about you and your books, and when is the next one coming out? Yeah, so um, going to my website is probably the easiest. It's just marykiliikoa.com, M-A-R-Y-K-E-L-I-I-K-O-A.com. And you can, all my social media sites are there, um, and you can sign up for my newsletter. I do a a twice a month newsletter, and I do giveaways and all sorts of things. And 
any book deals that are happening and stuff and reviews on occasion. But um, but my next book out is Deadly Tides, and it's coming October 24th, and it is oh, good. the second book of, of the Jack series, so Misty Pine series. So, yeah, so I'm excited. Ready for Are Jack to be back another, in action. Are you doing another tour with uh, Gina and Wendy for that one? I am. I'm going to be, yeah, I'm doing Deadly Tides with them as well. Well, tell them not yeah. to forget to tell me. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. I will. I will. If so you I have me back, I'll come visit. Are you doing the tour in November <laughs> or December so I could, you know, tentatively put you in my schedule? <laughs> I'm very popular. Oh. <laughs> I think November. I think that's when we're expecting to do it. I need to get on there. I'm not sure if we've gotten a date yet. Well, they'll let me. They'll, I'm sure they have to let me know because they know that my schedule is like crazy. And yeah. I just want to make sure that I know, yeah, what do I have in November? Um, I do, for those people that are interested in education and reading, I did one on Tuesday with my reading professor from Lehman, The Science of Reading, which is supposedly a new program that 32 states and districts signed up for in New York City that they probably should not have. It's a way of teaching phonics, phonemics, uh, phonemes, uh, fluency, vocabulary, vocabulary and word recognition, and, and comprehension. I got that memorized. And there's a different way of approaching how to teach children how to read. And since I'm a reading and writing specialist and taught reading, there were some pros and a lot of cons, and it was a great show to let everybody know about it. So I've got one on the 2nd of November, one on the 6th, and one on the 13th. So let me know anything in there. But thank you, Mary. This has been the highlight of my week, let me tell you, really, seriously. Oh, mine too. I love this. this I had is, so much fun. This thank is you. great. This book is fantastic. For those of you that, that want to meet, read about a character that's really genuine and good and what happens when a child in a, a sports store goes off and what happens when the sheriff actually cares, you need to read Hidden Pieces, and hopefully your Hidden Pieces won't be in the next book. What can I say? So everybody, it's go, we're going to have some storms later. It's going to rain, but so what? Everybody have a great day. Mary, thank you so much. Everybody have a great day, and bye. Thank you.